Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Story time. We were visiting friends in Maine, and they lived not far from the Appalachian Trail and a group of colonial-era cellar holes. Being a history buff, we packed lunches and headed up to the cellar holes with a metal detector. It wasn't entirely legal, but it's not like the cops were hiding behind trees. We found some cool pewter buttons, square nails, interesting shards of fine pottery, and unidentifiable chunks of iron. After enjoying our lunch, we wandered around, and then someone suggested that we climb a nearby hill to watch the sunset, which was a glorious sight. We, a group of friends reminiscing about our college days, were laughing and passing around a bottle of wine. As the purple shadows crept up the hill, only the very top where we were seated still had some light. Suddenly, we realized that we would be descending into darkness, so we gathered everything up. Luckily, my friend had one of those headband flashlights, a bit dorky, but it came in handy. He took the lead as we made our way down, with plenty of wine-fueled slips and laughs. We descended into a dense cover of pines, 
and there were two huge boulders marking each side of the trail, each the size of a full-size car standing upright. My wife suddenly giggled and said, Carl. Disapprovingly. I asked, what? And she claimed, you grabbed my ass, and you know you did. I denied it and instead held her close, awkwardly half running as I pushed past my friend and his wife. They were bewildered by the situation but caught our fear and hurried after us. About 20 yards down the trail, my friend turned his flashlight back up the trail, revealing some red cloth along the edge of one of the big rocks, resembling the edge of a shirt. My friend yelled something, and the tiny sliver of cloth disappeared around the rock. We stood there, breathing heavily, watching the circle of light panning back and forth on the rock. We stood there for what felt like a long time, not seeing or hearing anything. Tom said he'd keep the light on whatever it was, and I should guide the women back down the hill. We did so, and I kept looking back toward Tom, who remained still and silent. Finally, as we emerged from the trees and entered a field, he came running down the path, his flashlight bobbing all over the place. He reported that he never saw anything but had heard a metal scraping sound before he started running. lived in Yellowstone for a summer. Took a nice hike x 15-18 miles. Got back to car, 5% cell battery left. Car battery was totally. Dead. Sun is set and getting darker by the minute, around 9.30pm. No cell service at the car in the trailhead parking area, so exhausted, hiked the half mile back down the dirt access road to the paved road. Walked to the top of the closest hill another half mile. Flitter one single bar. Call. Get park service, call drops. Happens twice more. 2%. Finally get through and talk to dispatch, she sends the wrecker my way but that the wrecker was in West Yellowstone at the time doing another call, will get to me in perhaps one hours. Says the ranger ought to be by in a bit to secure the parking area for the night. Thank her and hike back down the paved road then turn and hike past the hills and draws and curves down the dirt road to the campground. Get to car, very last bit of light fading into very dark night, clear but low, no moon. In Yellowstone, so, pretty dark. I settle in for the wait. A few minutes pass and I figure I'd better let the wrecker know which car in the lot was mine for whenever they got there so they'd know which car needed help. There were about 15 or so in the lot but no one was coming, going from them, just cars of folks who were out in the backcountry for another day. Totally dark after a few more minutes. See a set of headlights round the curve into the lot, figure it's the ranger. Tell him howdy, explain the situation to him, he radios and confirms W dispatch that the wrecker is coming, they affirm, about another hour or so. He lets me know he has other areas to secure but will return in a couple hours to make sure I got out of there okay. I thank him and he drives off. About another half hour goes by. Him sitting in the driver's seat, hood up, but can still see the entryway to the lot. I hear the gravel crunching and see lights approaching of another vehicle. Weird. No one should be arriving yet and it's not as though anyone is coming to the area tonight hike, it's Yellowstone that's dangerous. I'm sure folks do it, but. The truck comes into view. It is driving basically without pressure on the gas, just rolling forward. About 3 miles per hour. Slower than is courteous, creepy slow. It makes the loop around the lot and as it pulls in its lights cast over my car, hood up. F, there was no way that the truck didn't see me, notice my hood. The lights finish the sweep of the lot and the truck crawls over to the far side of the row of cars I've parked in. The truck backs into the spot. I expect the lights to go off and begin to dread the inevitable interaction, whatever it might be. I remember a friend of mine had told me, if ever in a bad spot, be assertive. Because I'm normally pretty much a people pleaser, helper. I emotionally strap in and prepare myself. The truck lights never shut off and suddenly the truck roars forward, about 15 feet out into the gravel, then slowly creeps back into the space. Weird. 
The truck begins to repeat this. I'm on edge. It's really noisy and there is no reason to do that, at all. I begin to check my mirrors, unsure if the truck is trying to distract me while someone else approaches. It's so dark out, it's very hard for my eyes to adjust from looking at the truck with its lights on, to the mirrors. The truck continues this erratic revving and backing for 10 or so minutes. Finally, the lights shut off and the engine turns off. Here we go. A man slowly approaches along the front of the row of cars. My eyes are still darting to each mirror, checking, checking. He is about 20 or so feet in front of the line of vehicles, walking towards the display map and trailhead marker, to my left. My cell phone has totally died. His walk is a very slow stroll. As he draws near, and finally is in front of me, I'm assertive. My heart is pounding but I press myself and commit. I swing my door open and greet him with howdy. Have you got a jump? He pauses. What? His voice is strangely high and blushy. Almost like, like Mickey or something. Just oddly high. His stature is 6, perhaps 220. Mid-aged, I can make out the silhouette of jeans, cowboy hat, plaid collar shirt. Normal attire for that area, but anyone from that area definitely knows that pulling into odd trayhead parking areas in Yellowstone at 10 p.m. is just something that no one does. So, extra weird. I feel like he is familiar enough with the local culture to know that he shouldn't be there. I repeat exactly what I said, a bit more directly in tone, and add, jumper cables, have you got any? My battery's dead. He doesn't answer my question, but instead, he asks, after a long pause, do you have help coming? I panic inside. I'm panicking inside. My heart is pounding. I deliberately inflect a happy casualness into my tone and reply, oh yeah, actually you just missed the ranger on his way out, lie, it had been 30 minutes, and the wrecker is due here any minute but I'm trying to avoid the $200, lie, wrecker still another half hour away at least. The guy paused for a moment and said he didn't have any jumpers. He continued to walk then, along the front line of cars, to my left, arriving at the trailhead and map perhaps 25 meters to my left. I can still barely see him, mostly just able to see the movement of his silhouette. He stands there, in the dark, at the map, for perhaps 5 minutes. Which is lunacy because he has no light with him and it is way too dark to see a damn thing except outlines of mountains and stars. There's literally nothing to see at the map, nothing. He just stands there. I just stand there by my car, watching him. I'm standing behind my front driver door, still occasionally glancing around for anyone else behind me. After a few long minutes, he turns back and strolls towards me again in front of the cars. He draws closer to me in my car and says, you sure you have help coming? F. I grit and throw my voice out at him, yeah, they should be here any minute. He turns square to me and takes a step or two slowly towards me, closing the distance from about 20 feet to 10 in front of me. He again asks if I'm sure. As he steps towards me, I hear be assertive. In my head from my friend and I step from behind my door and transfer my bear spray canister with the glow in the dark safety dangling off of it, visible, aimed at him in my left hand, and don't reveal my right hand, letting him consider. I'm sure. I say. The next words are just in the bottom of my throat, and are just a hair away, and I ready myself to say the words take one more step towards me and I'll spray your ass. But he stops and looks at me and I stay very quiet and still, staring at him. He stays in his stance, facing me. It's very quiet. Moments pass. He just says, okay, and turns and slowly strolls back towards his truck. He turns his truck on and his truck repeats the series of odd revving and pulling out, and slowly crawling back in, about 10 more minutes. Then, finally, he slowly crawls out of the lot, gravel popping around the draws, fading into the blackness. I still am not convinced that I'm alone, and I still am afraid that someone else was with him. I am also terrified that he will ditch his truck beyond the curves, and then make his way back on foot. 
I grab my day pack and steady my nerves, and make a mad dash away from my car, locking it and dashing across the lot, to a long horse trailer, hiding behind it, waiting 15 minutes or so. Yellowstone is not the best place to just chill outside, though. It gets cold, moreover, uh, there are things that might eat you if you accidentally spook them, or, because you're meaty and it's nighttime. Fifteen more minutes pass and lights become visible down the parking lot road. My heart is still racing and goes into overdrive. It's the wrecker. Relief floods me and I begin to shake and almost cry. I explain how glad I am to see the wrecker to wrecker guy, he just thinks him a dumb girl afraid of the dark and swipes my card and jumps my car. I drive back to the cabin for an hour and a half, am exhausted, and sleep. During Vietnam, I and six other men were on a squad night patrol, setting up our temporary camp. It was nighttime. I was nervous because it was pitch black. We were very limited on light, only having the stars above. I looked off in the distance, and I could see these huge eyes staring right at us. It was not moving or making any sound. I contacted my platoon sergeant, advised him of what it is. He told me to keep calm and keep an eye on it while he gets back to me. Some minutes later, he alerted me that there are supposed to be no enemy in the area, but he will send up flares to see if it's really what I was seeing. They warned they would only release three flares. It might not really be necessary. A couple of moments later, three flares popped up into the dark night sky, and I saw this creature was now only about 30 feet away. The eyes I saw in the distance were another one. There were multiple of them, and unbeknownst to us, they had begun moving closer in the darkness. They were about 8 to 9 feet tall, large heads, eyes that were glowing just like stars. They also had two large antennae on top of their head resembling some sort of insectoid. The body was like that of a man, but it kind of had scales and looked somewhat reptilian, as if burned and distorted by acid or fire. On its back, it had a small pair of wings, and on the end of its trunk, there were two very sharp-looking spikes and appendages which kind of resembled horns. If there was ever a mantis man, this was it. It also had claws on all of its limbs. I could see it was holding something in its claws as if it was about to swing, although I couldn't make out what it was. I froze, not believing what I was seeing, and it stood there watching me for about five minutes just lingering before disappearing back in the dark. The whole incident was maybe 10 to 15 minutes. The next day, my sergeant suggested that I should visit the commanding officer, the CEO, to give him a better look at what I saw. So the CEO asked me to sit down and draw a sketch of this creature. As I was drawing it, he looked horrified, as if he himself had already seen the thing. When I finished drawing, he said to me, soldier, I want you to remember that day as if it was your last day on earth. Try to punctuate every last detail. I did so, and afterward, he told me and looked very grieved. He just explained, I want you to forget everything that happened that night. He dismissed me. I never told anybody about this incident until now. I thought nobody would believe me, so I just kept my mouth shut. I cannot sleep the whole night. The next day I went to a medic, told him how I was terrified by what he saw. He actually gave me a shot of something that knocked me out cold for 7 hours but not really sleep. I never had any other incidents with this creature, but I have heard of stories from friends who served over there during Vietnam as well. They told me they were terrified by this creature, running away from it, but it had chased them and actually eaten several other men. One of my friends explained to me how one of these creatures had jumped on their friends and drowned them in one of the rivers. It was like no other mantis or creature I've ever seen or heard of, even though I know there's all sorts of horrors that light in the jungles. I'm still terrified even now as I recall this event and still have problems sleeping at night. I would love to forget it, but if one day if I pass away and enter to heaven, what will happen if I see this creature again? People have been asking me for a name for this creature, but nobody knows what to call it. For the time being, I will call it a manticore because it reminded me of a mantis man.
The house I lived in with my dad, stepmom and stepsister when I was in high school was super haunted. My dad and stepmom recently sold the house. God willing I'll never have to go back, so I figured it was safe enough to tell some of the stories from my time there. This story is from just a week or two after we moved in. Our house sat on a pretty steep incline. In the back there was room for a concrete patio and a little space for a vegetable garden. Past that, the ground sloped steeply up into very thick woods that were full of oak, birch and pine trees. The woods were pretty wild, but there was an obvious path that led straight off from our property into the thicket. It ignited my stepsister's curiosity as soon as she saw it. She was a few years younger than me. I think she was about 12 when we moved in and I would have been 14 or 15. Rita, my stepsister, was on me from the second we moved in to go into the woods with her. I used to go hiking with my dad before he started dating my stepmom, so to her that made me an expert on nature. But, the thickness of the underbrush and the woods behind the house really put me off. Eventually, I gave in to Rita's constant wheedling and agreed to explore the woods behind the house. I talked Rita into putting on long pants to protect from brambles and we set out into the woods. The incline was really steep and only got steeper the further we went in. The weeds and brambles along the forest floor were thick and cloying, clinging to our pants legs and pricking at our skin even through our jeans. The path we were following was narrow and roamed left to right seeking the easiest way past trees and bushes. It was probably a path used by deer and foxes and we struggled to follow it. I remember Rita saying, this is so cool. It's a for real forest right behind our house. And trying not to scoff where she could hear or see it. I already felt like I was too old to play around in the woods. Those thoughts aside, I thought it was unwelcoming and king of creepy. Definitely not the kind of place I would have wanted to play even when I was her age. It was quiet in the woods. As we stepped deeper and higher, the incline just kept going up and up. We didn't hear any bird sounds insects. It seemed like the only sound was what our feet made as they pushed through the underbrush and what the wind made as it blew hot sticky summer air against our backs. After a few minutes of hard going, the incline started to even out and soon we were walking downward, the forest floor now sloping away down into a valley. Have you ever been out in the woods like this before? Rita asked, holding onto the back of my shirt as she cautiously descended down deeper into the woods. She was stepping carefully in my footsteps as she picked her way down. Not like this, I told her, holding onto a crooked tree as I held a hand out to help her over a fallen log. We went to public parks mostly. They maintain their forests so they aren't congested like this. Isn't it exciting to have this as our backyard? She asked with a smile, her hand small and strong in mine as she hauled herself over the tree. Yeah, it is pretty nice. I agreed even though I privately thought that the woods were too wild to be much fun to walk in. We had only been hiking for maybe 15 minutes and I was already starting to breath faster due to the harsh incline. We went a little farther and heard the sound of running water. It was the first sound other than the wind that we had heard since entering the woods. A stream, Rita exclaimed. Do you think it's at the bottom of the valley? She asked excited. Yeah, probably. I grunted. But, don't rush. You don't want to fall and get hurt in here. I kept a hand out to help her along all the same. The image of her with a twisted ankle or broken leg filled me with anxiety and I tried to keep a hand on her as she hurried ahead of me. The stream was at the bottom of the valley, a small but fast-moving creek that was perfectly clear. The bottom was covered in a fine silt and tiny rounded stones. Looking close we saw that there were little minnows swimming at the edges where the current wasn't as fast. We both took off our shoes and socks, rolled up our pant legs and waded into the water. In the center it came up to our calves and, the current was swift. The water was blessedly cool and felt great against my feet. Rita was delighted, picking up stones to put in her pockets and watching the little fish swim around her feet and brush against her toes. For the first time since we started to push through the woods, I was happy that Rita had suggested it. This was a great find and was worth the hard work to get to it. Then, 
Seemingly out of the blue, I was struck with this strong feeling that I was being watched. It was bright even that deep in the woods. The air was hot and the wind through the trees was humid. Even so I got a cold chill that ran down my back and suddenly my throat and stomach were in knots. There was some part of my brain, like this primal hind brain that pricked up and said holy f you are in danger. I froze, barely daring to breathe, and looked around as much as I could without moving my head and I saw it. I'm still not really sure what it was. It was standing further down the stream, which steadily moved lower between the hills. It was standing up straight and perfectly still in the center of the stream watching us. Small trees and shrubs grew all along the creek and leaned into the space above it to stretch for sunlight. This made it hard to see the person or figure through them. Their face was obscured by branches and leaves, but I could make out a little of their body and everything about it made me feel something was wrong down to the marrow in my bones. They were in a human shape, standing up, arms at their sides, their legs straight knees locked. The water was visibly burbling around their shins so they were displacing the water. But, they were completely black. Not like matte black like they were painted black or wearing black clothing. Like, a complete absence of light and color as if their shape was punched out of the air around them. I grabbed Rita's arm as she danced past me, probably too hard for someone so much smaller than me. I remember in the corner of my eye I saw her turn to me with a narrow look, like she thought she was going to fight me. Then, she looked where I was looking and saw it. I was able to watch out of the corner of her eye as her body went through the same things mine had. She froze, her eyes went wide, her breathing shallow. Then, I felt her muscles tense and her knees bend. I realized we were like deer who had just spotted a predator. Some part of us realized we were prey and that the next few seconds would decide if we got out of this or not. With a single shove, I pushed us both into movement. Rita took off up the embankment into the woods with a kind of grace and brutality I didn't realize she was capable of. Without her shoes, she leapt from rock, to root, to fallen tree like it was something she had done every day for years. Being bigger and bulkier than her, I didn't feel nearly as graceful but I felt that my panic and the adrenaline pounding between my ears made up for it. I kept up with her, pushing her with a hand between her shoulder blades or at the seat of her butt whenever I caught up. Behind us, there was the horrible silence. We were a cacophony of crashing noises ripping through the woods and all around us, no birds sang, no insects chirped, not even the wind whistled through the trees. That whole run back through the woods was a blur. I never once looked back for fear of what I would see and I didn't see Rita look back either. I kept my eyes glued to her back, carefully watched her every footfall in constant fear that she would slip or fall, but she never did. Once we crashed back through the edge of the woods and into our yard, it was like the sound was suddenly turned back on. Not that Rita or I cared. We continued running as fast as our bodies would take us for the house and once inside we slammed the back door shut and I slid the deadlock home. I pressed my back against the door with my breath heaving for a moment before running to the front door and locking it as well. Then I went window to window on the first floor making sure they were all locked and that the curtains were pulled. Only once that was done did I collapse onto the living room floor with Rita. We left our shoes and socks by the creek. She wheezed, sticking her muddy feet into the air where I could see them. Who cares, I gasped back. I'll tell dad I lost them, I added. That was really the start of it all. After it happened, for a while Rita and I assumed we had left whatever it was down in the creek. We knew our parents wouldn't believe us, so we never brought it up to them. But, we didn't leave it behind. It followed us home and it made the next few years in that house utter hell. I have a lot more stories to tell about what happened after that. I'll work on typing up the rest in the next few days. General Harrison's solemn voice echoed through the television speakers as he addressed the nation. His military uniform and stern expression conveyed a sense of urgency and gravity. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow citizens, he began, I stand before you today not as a soldier, but as a concerned citizen. 
The Secret Service, in collaboration with other government agencies, has uncovered undeniable proof that our national forests and parks are now infested by unknown predators. I implore you all to exercise extreme caution and vigilance when visiting these areas. Stay safe, and report any unusual sightings or encounters to the authorities. The General's message sent ripples of unease through the country. People began to speculate about what kind of creatures could have infiltrated the pristine wilderness of their beloved national parks. While some dismissed it as a hoax, others heeded the warning and cancelled their camping and hiking plans. Among the cautious was myself, a seasoned hiker with a penchant for exploring the wilds of Yosemite National Park. The temptation of the untouched wilderness proved too strong, and I decided to undertake a solo hike on one of Yosemite's more popular trails. The sun bathed the forest in a gentle, golden light as I ventured deeper into the wilderness. The scent of pine and earth filled the air, a soothing balm to my senses. The hike was uneventful until I began to detect an ominous odor, a foul stench of decay that hung in the air like a sinister omen. Unable to resist my curiosity, I followed the pungent trail of the rancid odor, straying from the beaten path. My heart pounded in my chest as I ventured further into the undergrowth. The scent grew stronger, and my instincts warned me that something was terribly wrong. Emerging into a small clearing, my eyes widened with disbelief, and my heart threatened to escape my chest. There, before me, stood an unknown predator, a creature unlike anything I had ever seen or heard of before. It was massive, easily towering at eight feet in height, its body covered in dark gray fur with streaks of brown, giving it a menacing appearance. Its mane, reminiscent of a male lion's, framed its elongated face, and its eyes gleamed with an eerie intelligence. This enigmatic beast walked upright on its back legs, a bizarre sight that defied nature's laws. Paralyzed by fear and fascination, I watched as it transitioned to all fours and bolted away at an unimaginable speed, disappearing into the forest. I knew I should have retreated, but an inexplicable urge to understand this cryptid overcame me. Slowly, I advanced, hoping to get a closer look. The creature must have sensed my approach, for it suddenly stopped and turned toward me. It unleashed a deafening roar, a primal sound that reverberated through the forest. Terror surged through me like an electric shock, and I turned and sprinted back in the direction I had come from, my breath ragged and panicked. I ran for what felt like an eternity, my heart racing, my mind consumed by fear. After what seemed like an eternity, I glanced over my shoulder and realized that the creature was no longer pursuing me. Exhausted and trembling, I finally came to a halt, my legs threatening to give way beneath me. My mind was a whirlwind of confusion, and I struggled to comprehend the reality of what I had just witnessed. What was that creature, and how had it come to inhabit Yosemite's wilds? As I sat there, gasping for breath, a profound sense of unease washed over me. General Harrison's warning echoed in my mind, and I couldn't help but wonder if my encounter was part of a larger, unsettling phenomenon. The unknown predators had become a chilling reality, and the secrets of the wilderness held mysteries far more terrifying than I could have ever imagined. The drive through this part of Nevada was beautiful. The tall cliffs were lined by majestic pines while the road leisurely wound through the scenery. But no matter how amazing the view was, it couldn't change the fact that I was out here to deal with something incredibly unpleasant. My brother Jason worked as a park ranger until he suddenly went missing one night. No one knows exactly what happened. From all appearances, he seemed to have gotten up from the ranger station to check on something routine and never came back. There was an extensive search, but nothing turned up. The ranger station had been found exactly as it should be, there were no signs of a struggle, no strange tire tracks or footprints leading away from the park, and no eyewitnesses who reported seeing Jason anywhere after that. So here I was, trying to do what everyone in my family wanted me to do and see if I could find anything. Was I optimistic? Not really but stranger things have happened in life. 
All I knew was that I was here to look around, and that was what I was going to do. It was late afternoon by the time I arrived at my destination. The town the park was located by was as average as could be. A main street lined with a variety of shops and stores, and residential areas that branched off it. A place you've seen on a thousand brochures and postcards. I parked in front of the local pizza restaurant. Not only was I hungry, this would be a great opportunity to see what people around here were like. If they were open and welcoming, especially if I mentioned my brother, I'd know what I was dealing with. If not, that meant something was up, and I would get out of there as quickly as possible. The pizza place had a few customers this time of day, so I got right in at a table in the middle of the restaurant. I decided on a medium pepperoni pizza and relaxed in my seat while sipping my water. Once I was done eating my pizza, which was very good, I paid the bill and left a generous tip and headed to the park my brother had worked at for two years until he vanished one night. The park looked like any other I'd seen. Well-maintained, neat, and orderly. The kind of place you'd like to have a picnic in. But of course, nature is like anything else, what you see on the surface is only a fraction of what is really going on. I drove up the neatly landscaped driveway and parked in front of the ranger station. My shoes crunched on the gravel as I got out of the car and approached the building. I was expecting an old rustic cabin, but this ranger station was relatively modern, with large bay windows and a gleaming metal facade. I approached the front door, knocked, and waited. A moment later, it opened and a man in a ranger uniform looked at me. How can I help you? He asked. I'm Alex, Jason's brother. I'm here for some information. Oh I see. Come right in. The ranger held the door open and pointed to a sitting area. I'll let the boss know you're here. Can I get you something to drink? I'm fine, thank you. Alright. We'll be right with you. And with that, the ranger hustled down the hallway and I was left alone. I hadn't given anyone a heads up I was coming. I didn't want anyone to prepare for my arrival. My brother had gone missing several weeks ago. It was just a question of why. I don't believe he just ran off for no reason, so that meant there had to be a reason why. And everyone, me included, wanted to know what that was. Since he went missing at work, it seemed obvious to be work-related but it was entirely possible that it was connected to something else. It could have been something he encountered while at work but had nothing to do with the job itself. Personally, I've never been a huge fan of camping or anything like that. I certainly appreciate nature, but I'm definitely more of the stay inside and read a book type. Jason was always much more enthusiastic about the outdoors, and it wasn't a surprise to anyone when he became a park ranger just like it was no surprise to anyone when I became an architect. And here we were. At that moment, an older man who was also in a ranger uniform came out and faced me. Alex? Yes? I'm Tim. Park manager. He shook my hand firmly. Nice to meet you, I said. Likewise. Jason was a good ranger and we all liked him. So if I can be of any help, don't hesitate to ask. I appreciate that and what I need now is information. Tim nodded. Of course. Why don't you follow me to my office? He led the way to his office, a small room with a neat view of the park entrance. Once I sat down in a chair facing his desk, and he leaned back in his desk chair, we started talking again. I would love to say we have new information for you, but we don't. And it bothers me. We've never had an incident like this in the history of this park. I see. The only other thing I can think to add is that about a week or so after he vanished, I was out on my route checking on things, and I could feel someone watching me. Just for a moment, but it was there. And I had no idea who was responsible. Because when I looked around, I didn't see anyone. Interesting. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Not at all. What do you think happened to your brother? I've thought about that a million times. The honest answer is I don't know. But I don't believe he just ran off. That isn't Jason. That's fair. And for what it's worth, I don't believe it either. Alright. Now it's my turn to ask you something. 
What are the odds that something happened to Jason out here? Tim paused as he considered my question. Somewhat possible. I've always liked working here, but the woods are the woods. And things happen out there. No doubt. Okay. The next logical step is to think that if something happened in the woods, where exactly was it most likely? Are there any locations around here something odd tends to happen at? Places people tend to steer clear of if they can avoid it? It doesn't have to be in the park, but around town, Tim chuckled. Oh that would be the old quarry. No doubt about it. Or more exactly, what's left of the old quarry? You know mining used to be the big industry out here? I do. What's happened at the old quarry? That I know of? The usual things people would prefer to forget. And that's just what we know of. Can you point me towards it? Tim stood up from his desk. I can do better than that. I can show you where it is. Great. Tim led the way in his truck, and we were there in 15 minutes. We parked on a small cliff overlooking the quarry itself, which was now filled with water. A group of five people were sitting further down on the cliff, and they glanced at the two of us with slight interest when they saw our cars pull up. When we got out of our vehicles, we briefly glanced at each other, and Tim gave me a slight nod of encouragement. Then I stepped forward. I'm looking for some information. My brother's gone missing. He was a park ranger. If you can help, you'll be compensated for it. Then I took out my phone pulled up a picture of Jason, and held it up so they could see it. The group all looked at the photo for a second. After a moment, I saw one of the guys do a double take. I've seen him, the guy nodded. Less than a month ago. I got chills as he said this, because that would be right about the time Jason went missing. Where was he? The Wistful Pines Inn. It's a hotel about an hour away, Tim said. What was he doing? Nothing in particular. Just hanging around near the road from what I could tell. But from the look in his eyes, he seemed very focused on something. Thank you for your help. I reached in my pocket and gave him a $100 bill. Then Tim and I headed for the Wistful Pines Inn. It was your typical roadside motel with two stories and a swimming pool in front. There was also a small sign advertising where the front office was, so I headed there while Tim stayed in his truck. Standing at the front desk was an older woman with long silver hair. Hello, how can I help you? She asked politely. My brother went missing in the area about a month ago, and I was wondering if maybe you'd seen him here? Then I showed her the photo. There were no signs she'd ever seen him before. No, I'm sorry. I don't recall seeing him here. I put my phone away. Thank you. But that doesn't mean he wasn't here. Just that I didn't see him. What was his name? I gave her Jason's full name, and she deftly typed it into the computer in front of her and paused for a moment. Nope. Nothing in our records either. We don't have security cameras, so there's nothing to check there I'm afraid. I really appreciate your help. It was a long shot anyways. A tip. She nodded. I see. Well your tip may be right after all. Because strictly between us. Her voice lowered a bit. A film crew was staying here for about a week while they were in the area to film part of a documentary. They haven't been seen since the night before last. The idea settled in the air uneasily as she pressed a few buttons on the computer before turning the screen so I could see it. On it was a local news article about the film crew who was in town to do a piece about abandoned mines. The film crew all looked to be close to me in age, and by all appearances they seemed happy and content. Thanks for telling me. Sure. I have no idea what happened, but good luck with finding your brother. Come back if you need anything else. Thank you. Then I left the office and told Tim what I found out. He sat there quietly for a moment before he started talking. We've dealt with a lot of people wanting to get footage of this or that over the years. It's amazing really. How nature can be dangerous enough when you know what you're doing and have tons of experience. No doubt. Is it possible that they disappeared not just because they were filming, but because of what they were filming? Tim considered it for a moment. Absolutely. Just a thought. No, I get it. 
It's a valid question. We have no idea what they were filming, but we can always double check. It's certainly possible that they were filming something completely routine and stumbled onto something they didn't intend to. I shivered slightly at the thought. One person going missing could have many explanations. Two going missing doesn't have as many possibilities, but a number of scenarios could have happened depending on the circumstances. But a group? That's inherently unsettling because it strongly suggests something bad happened. But with nothing left to go on, I had no choice but to call it a day. Especially since I had actually accomplished something since I got here. So I grabbed some dinner at a local diner and planned to go back to my hotel room. I had just gotten in my car when there was a knock on the driver's side window. My jaw dropped when I looked up and saw Jason. He was dressed casually in clothes that looked a little beat up, but there was no mistaking my brother. I immediately opened the door and climbed out of the car so I could take a good look at Jason. His clothes were worn, he'd been spending a lot of time outdoors, and he looked a little gaunt, but it was him. I never thought I'd ever see Jason again. I thought he was lost forever. So I was ecstatic to see him. I could barely believe this was happening. Good to see you Alex, he said nonchalantly as if our meeting was the most routine thing in the world. What is going on here? I failed to keep the shock out of my voice. I ran. From what? Them. The simplicity of the response was chilling. It said so little and so much at the same time. Them? I asked. Let's just say I was out in the woods, and it turns out I wasn't alone. I barely got away. The film crew that vanished? I don't know anything about that, but it doesn't surprise me. We need to get out of here. Right now. From the look in his eyes, I knew Jason was seriously afraid of something. And since I'd accomplished what I set out to do here, I had no reason or desire to stay. So I got back in the car, he hopped in beside me, and I pulled out of the parking lot. How did you know I was here? I asked him once we were heading down the road. I've seen you around town. Where should we go? Away from here. Got it. Can I ask why? Of course. While working at the park I'd heard rumors of the area's past. By now I'm sure you know it used to be a prosperous mining area a few decades ago. Or at least it was until there was a nasty accident that resulted in the mining company closing down after a bunch of people died in the mine after there was a cave-in. I heard rumors that there were a few people that survived the accident, but never came out of the mine and vanished into the hills. I'd always considered it just a campfire story until one night a few weeks ago. A group of people came out of nowhere, chased me into a cave, and I'd thought I'd never get out. When I was finally able to escape, I was in the middle of nowhere and had to use my outdoors experience to find my way back here. Especially since I had no idea how many were out there or if I was being followed. That was why everyone thought I'd disappeared. If anyone could make it through that, it would be you. Appreciate it. The road we were on had narrowed down to one lane, and I was acutely aware that we were surrounded by tall trees on this stretch of road. But when the road turned and I saw the road was blocked by a massive fallen tree, my stomach clenched, and I felt my blood freeze in my veins. I quickly tried to back up, but when I did, I felt the tires run over something and I knew they would be flat in no time at all. I didn't dare get out of the car. That was what whoever was behind this wanted. So I took a deep breath and looked outside. Darkness had settled on the area and there were only a few streetlights illuminating the road out here. But even that was enough light for me to see some shadows moving at the far end of the road by the woods coming slowly towards us. The sight made me grip the steering wheel so hard my knuckles turned white. What do we do? I managed to ask Jason. Stay calm. They want us to panic. Before he could say another word, headlights blazed to life out of a cluster of trees to our right and I thought for sure the vehicle they belonged to was going to crash straight into us. But I watched as the vehicle in question, a small RV, roared past us, parked alongside us on the curb, and the driver's side window rolled down. I got another shock when I realized it was one of the members of the missing film crew. Get in, she yelled to us. 
She didn't need to tell us twice. Jason and I immediately got out of my rental car and ran to the RV's door and climbed inside. Once Jason slammed the door shut, the driver immediately took off and we were out of there. As I tried to catch my breath, I found myself face to face with the rest of the film crew, who were sitting comfortably around the RV's interior. Thanks, I said once I'd sat down on the floor. No problem, a woman with curly blonde hair who was sitting in an armchair said. We'd been watching what they were up to for hours. We knew they were up to something, we were just waiting for them to act so we could do something about it. Is that why no one's seen you guys for a while? Jason asked. A guy sitting on the couch nodded. Yes. We'd stumbled upon them while researching a different abandoned mine, and it became the subject of our footage. Are you that park ranger who went missing? Aha, uh -huh, Jason said. I stumbled across them too. Jason and the film crew talked for the rest of the drive until we eventually made our way back to town and went straight to the police. After we explained what happened and the film crew showed them the footage they had, the police went out to where my rental car had been left on the road. It was just as we'd left it. They searched the area thoroughly, and nothing ever turned up. But at least now everyone knows to be alert, and that's something. After that, Jason came home, and everyone was beyond stunned by what happened. No one was surprised when he took another park ranger job, but this time much closer to home. The documentary the crew had been working on was eventually released and won some awards. Jason and I even went along to a few showings to talk to the audience. It was definitely a unique experience. For the past several years, I have tried to find any facts about what I saw and what I believe took place. I have contacted numerous Bigfoot researchers and investigators nationwide, but I have never received any information that satisfied my concern. I was camping and hiking through Colorado in the spring of 2018. One morning, I woke up to smashing sounds that got closer to my camp. I thought it was a mad bear and got my hiking stick out. I knew I couldn't hurt a charging bear but maybe I could distract it somehow with a shred of hope and a poke from my stick. The sounds got right up on my camp but took a turn. It stopped and I peeked out of my tent. I then saw this big, dark hairy shape through the trees. It looked like it was carrying something that was wearing red cloth. Then it turned and ran up this steep hill. I heard it crashing through trees and it sounded like a tank going 60 miles per hour up a steep slope. I wish that I had got a better look but it all happened so fast. I got the feeling that I needed to get out of there right then. I saw something that maybe I shouldn't have. I packed up camp and hiked out of there. I'm not sure but since then I have the feeling that the red cloth may have been a t-shirt. I think that the big thing was carrying an abducted child because people, especially kids, had been reported back then missing. Nobody knows what happened to them. I've been desperate for answers. I did all I could to report what I saw but law enforcement and state wildlife officials simply ignored me. I know what I saw, and I believe that a child was taken by the creature. This occurred at Guanella Pass, which is located inside the Pike National Forest, Colorado. I was driving Thursday night at 10 p.m. September 7, 2023, on my way to pick up food in the Glenview area. Prior to picking up my food, I had a super uneasy feeling. I felt very brain foggy and just out of it. I really wasn't focused. I want to think it's stress because of working a 9 to 5. So, as I was driving on W Lake Avenue, I was listening to music and singing along to my favorite playlist I wasn't really thinking much. I drove by the cemetery earlier on River Road, which I hate driving by. I started, obviously, feeling pretty spooked, like out of nowhere. I don't know why I was psyching myself out but I continued to not pay mind to that feeling and kept singing along to my music. It was Lady Gaga so I definitely was singing my heart out. So I kept driving. As I drove by the forest on W Lake Avenue I quickly saw a strange creature standing still on the right hand side of the road. 
I wanted to believe it was a deer but this thing I saw was six to seven feet tall standing upright. Deer don't do that? It had a dark gray cement-like colored body and its eyes gave out the same red as bicycle reflectors do. That's what made me look. When I quickly locked eyes with it my stomach dropped and I got so scared. The same feeling you get when riding a roller coaster. I freaked out for a bit and I was thinking, keep driving. Don't look back. Don't look back. I quickly sped up to the upcoming light and intersection. I wanted to be around other cars in the intersection and more into businesses and buildings. I kept telling myself nope. That was a deer. That was a deer. You didn't see SHT. I picked up my banchan chicken and drove on the highway back home instead. I forgot about it and went to work the next day. I kept thinking about it, so I told my co-worker what happened and what I saw. She's into paranormal and conspiracies and told me of the Mothman seen all over Chicago. Especially around the O'Hare airport area. So, throughout my research, I saw the Google Maps sighting site and had to reach out. Again, I never thought I would be doing this. But, hey, here I am. Whatever these things are I hope they're nice. I live in Vermont and the experiences I had are in a small border town called Vernon in the southeast corner. New Hampshire to the east and Massachusetts to the south. I was taking my 13-year-old nephew hunting. It was his first or second time sitting in a blind alone. I believe the year was 2013. Anyway, his blind was roughly 200 yards from mine. It was early and very dark and somewhere around 5 am. The first light was roughly an hour away. We're walking on a snowmobile trail. My nephew's blind was on our left and up the side of the mountain, about 75 to 100 yards, he left the trail and headed up to his spot. I continued down the trail for a couple hundred yards. My blind was similarly located on the left and up the steep mountainside. As I turned and left the clear trail I heard a very loud and long howl that was not like anything I'd ever heard. I froze in my tracks and listened in complete shock and awe. I felt no fear or even concern. The howl, scream lasted for roughly 10 seconds. It wound up in a crescendo to a high pitch and then a long slow wind down and ended with an incredibly low guttural double grunt. The lung capacity and vocal ability blew my mind. Nevertheless, I continued to my blind. Once there I moved a few sticks and twigs and settled in. The howl was on a loop in my mind and I was trying to rationalize what I had heard. The topography was like a giant bowl below me. Roughly 800 to 1000 yards through the trees were some pasture fields and a gravel pit. Beyond those fields were fields, farms, and houses, then the Connecticut River and New Hampshire behind and another mountain. Any loud noise like a truck exhaust, brake, or car horn could be easily heard even coming from New Hampshire. I was rationalizing the sound as coming from a bull. As a crow flies the closest pasture was maybe 800 yards straight down the snowmobile trail and that was roughly where the sound seemed to come from. Roughly 10 minutes had passed and it happened again. It sounded to me like a perfect duplicate. It gave me goosebumps. We stayed most of the day. My nephew had called me on his walkie after the second yell. He was freaked out a bit. I told him not to worry about it, that I was between him and whatever it was. We decided to keep hunting and though we never saw it, a deer, or anything else, we stayed put until lunch. Fast forward about four years. My father, brother-in-law, and I purchased a 30-acre parcel of land half a mile as the crow flies from where I was hunting that day. That summer I bought a portable sawmill and set it up on it on the new land. I've cut trees and milled the lumber day in and day out. My dog was always with me and loved roaming around or just hanging out. One day I'd been sawing up some hemlock boards and noticed the dog was not around. I shut the mill down and started calling to him. I found him hiding under my truck. That surprised me. He had never been afraid before, but from that day on he would never leave the cab of my truck unless I forced him, which I seldom did. Something had scared him. I do not know what. 
That same summer I camped up there with a buddy Scott. I was asleep in my tent and was awoken by deep breathing and some low grunting noises. My back was against the side of the tent as I lay there listening. Whatever was outside the tent began rubbing against my back. I was sleeping on a double air mattress so my back was a little over two feet from the ground. My buddy had a young pit bull named Jersey with him and I thought that she was the culprit. Scott's tent was 20 feet from mine and by chance, he had gotten up to relieve himself. He unzipped the flap so I said something to the effect of, Hey! Jersey is out here rubbing against my back. Scott replied that Jersey was in his tent and had not been out of it. At that point, I also got up and exited my tent. I never heard anything walk away. It was 4 am. And dark. I shot my flashlight around but saw nothing. I concluded that it must have been a black bear and went back to bed. Then there was the sound of wood hitting wood. It was loud like a shotgun. Scott heard it and we discussed it for a couple minutes, but neither exited our tents. I was awake now just laying in my tent when right at first light a rock was hurled from where the tree knock had occurred. I heard it clearly crashing through the trees and landing with a loud thud, followed by the sound of a rock rolling through the leaf litter. Judging by the sound of the crashing branches and the thud I guess the rock is soccer ball sized. At this point I rushed out of the tent and scanned the area, seeing nothing at all. I began yelling stupid or whatever was messing with us. I looked all around but was unable to locate the rock. Since that day I had strange things happen for that entire summer. Every time I drove up the old dirt road there would be a tree or multiple trees laying across the road. No stumps. The trees were not large, always completely dead, and lying directly across the road. It was obvious someone or something was deliberately dragging them there. My father had rocks thrown at him for 20 minutes while hanging posted signs around the perimeter. They were small golf ball sized and landed all at his feet or a few feet away. He saw a few of them flying in, like being lobbed underhand. He finally yelled at it thinking it was me playing a joke and it stopped. My father's 80 years old I would not throw rocks at him. I'm not saying this was a Sasquatch. I've not seen one nor do I want to see one. It would likely be a deal breaker for me. I go to my land with no fear. I want to keep it that way. If I saw one I think that would change my perspective and I would not enjoy the land anymore. My brother-in-law spends more time on the land than me. I've told him my experiences and he brushes them off. He's never told me he had any weird experiences and I rarely bring it up. I sold my sawmill two years ago and nothing strange has happened since. Make of that what you will. I was born in 1976, in Dayton, Ohio, and shared a room with my brother for several years. This event took place when I was in my bog bed, so I must have been at least five to six years old. My brother had one side of the room, and I had the other. We had a very large walk-in closet and the door to it was at the foot of my bed. One night as I was trying to get to sleep, my brother was already asleep, the door opened and I know this sounds crazy, but out came Big Bird. I remember being frightened at first, but others came out too and they were very friendly and led me into the closet with them. All I remember at this point is that Big Bird gave me a flavored chapstick, most likely to ease my fear because I love chapstick, and they brought me back to my bed. I went to sleep very happy over the whole experience and was not afraid anymore. I put the chapstick under my pillow after taking a tiny nibble leaving my teeth marks just to see if it was still there in the morning. The next morning, I checked, and lo and behold the chapstick was there. Just like I remembered, and at that moment I knew for a fact it was not a dream. If it were not for that chapstick the experience probably would not have stayed with me all these years. I tried to tell my brother, but he laughed it off, as anyone would, it sounds totally crazy. Now, after reading the other accounts of similar experiences, I am wondering if it was an abduction disguised as a friendly interaction. Another really weird phenomenon happened to me in the same house, but in a different room within the 10 years I lived in that house. I have somewhat of a timeline as we moved when I was 10. 
I will describe my other experience which could have been an abduction, in another email. Thanks for taking the time to read this, I would love to read more about these Sesame Street types of events. This happened in 1982 years ago. I had a girlfriend who had been killed in a car accident by a drunk driver. She had gotten in the accident on August 18th, and on August 20th she had been pronounced dead, two months before her 20th birthday. On Halloween night, there was a party at the house where she had lived. Her roommates had decided to have a party to try and get over the grieving process and whatnot. We had hired a band from over in Everett, Washington and I was over at the house to let the band in. The band that came, none of them knew about Lisa's death, and the head singer for the band had gone into the bathroom back by Lisa's bedroom. It was a female with dark hair, Lisa had red hair. She was in the bathroom combing her hair and she let out a scream like I had never heard before in my life. I went running back there and she was standing there in the mirror just as white as could be. And she looked at me and she said, someone has died here. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I looked into the mirror and it wasn't my face. She described Lisa right to a T. She walked out of the bathroom and she turned and looked right at Lisa's room and she said, that's her room. Well, the first thing I thought was that these people were trying to play a really sick joke. I got together with a couple other people and we were talking about it and this girl from the band kept wanting to leave. And before she had gone into the bathroom, she had been so excited about playing this gig. Later in the evening, I was standing in Lisa's bedroom talking to somebody and I looked out the window and I saw her reflection from behind me and heard her voice asking me to leave. I left the party and later that night over $10,000 damage was done to that house by people getting out of hand. Sitting here recalling it, I get the shakes like I did that night. I really believe that she had come back not wanting people sitting there getting drunk and wrecking the house. 